Purigihe Muisi Yose Haba Hari Ahanhu Hari Umoicho. It's always sunny somewhere in the world. Welcome back. It's Carrie and Emily. And we are really excited to have our next guest on the show. We're sitting here with Faustine. Welcome, Faustine. Thank you so much. And we are really excited to chat with you and hear some about your story tonight, hear about where you've come from, how you got here, and let's just jump right in. Uh, how long have you been a member at Ashland now? Oh, uh, I can't uh, actually be exact, but I've been attending Ashland for quite some months. I've been here in the U.S. for like six months. I probably started attending Ashland like probably after one month. And I've been here for quite like two to three one to two months and then that's when I requested a membership so I'll probably say that I've been a member like maybe two months ago nice yeah but uh, prior to being a member I was just attending regular uh, on every week basis so we basically got you at Ashland right when you came to America correct <laughs> ha good job Ashland that's the goal um, okay so Faustine where are you from I am from Rwanda. Uh, that's that's East uh, Eastern Africa. Okay. And how did you come here to the U.S.? Oh, actually, I say that I'm from Rwanda uh, because it's where I grew up. Um, but um, originally, my parents came from Congo, so I we were from Congo. We then uh, we came into Rwanda as refugees. So we've been in in a refugee camp in Rwanda. So there is this program of the United States where they resettle the refugees. They bring them here to U.S. to just live there, to live in here. So that's how we came in. Uh, we were also brought in through that program. Okay, so it was you and your brother, right? Yes. I, I mean, the process started with me and the whole family. Uh, but because uh, me and my brother, we are above 21 years old, we were given different cases. So that means uh, it was worked upon differently. So it happened that my case and my brother's case uh, came in first and we were able to come in before our parents. Okay, great. So I wanted to um, kind of jump into for people listening what a refugee is because I know the the question where are you from is a complicated question for a refugee um, so I looked up before this what is the definition for refugee and so the United Nations uh, defines it as people who have fled war violence, conflict, or persecution and have crossed an international border to find safety in another country so by God's grace, your safety in another country was the U.S. Um, so where are you from? And you answered, you're from Rwanda, but your family's from Congo. So could you get into a little bit what you mean by that? Um, for our listeners, what was the year that the Rwandan genocide 
happened, which is kind of setting the background for where you're from. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, that's that's kind of challenging question, uh, particularly with the complexities of the history we have. Uh, when I go back, like in 1959, uh, back in Rwanda, or even before that, before 50, uh, 1959, um, before the, I mean, in the regimes of the kings and or whatever, it used to be conceived that uh, the ethnicity called Tutsis were the one that were um, kind in leadership. So uh, they were in leadership for quite many years. So when the when the Westerners came in, uh, the colonization, uh, they kind uh, started like uh, telling the other ethnicity in Rwanda, which is particularly called Hutu. In Rwanda, we are particularly three. So it's Tutsi, Hutu, and Batwa. But for the Batwa, I mean, it's like it, they are so, like, they are very little, like, it's so minimized, like, it, it, it's like less than 5% of the whole population, so it's really never counted, so uh, it, a time came in when it's like they tried to tell the Hutus who were, like, the majority of the people, like why why are the Tutsis always leading you why are they that are taking up the leadership all the time like throughout the history the, the Tutsis were the one that were in leadership so it's like all that ideology started getting into the Hutus ethnicity and they kind wanted to do what we call revolution so a time came in when uh, they for that revolution, they started kind killing the Tutsis. So in 1959, what I would call like my grandparents, they were in Rwanda by then, so they have to flee to Congo for their security. So my father and my mother, they were born in Congo. Uh, so, I mean, all of their life, they know it in Congo, but they were originally from Rwanda. So they lived in Congo since uh, the time uh, they were born, uh, since the time the grandfathers and the grandmothers moved there. Uh, my, my older sister and my older brother, they were born in Congo, not me. Me, I was born in Rwanda. Uh, but then uh, they lived there until, until there was a genocide in Rwanda, which was... The plan which started in 1959, where the Hutus wanted to kill the Tutsis to also take the leadership. So they, they kept doing like killings since the, 50, the 1959. And up to 1999, it then happened like the genocide happened. The little killing of people happened. So when that happened, are the people that had fled to Uganda the same as some had fled to Congo and others has, had fled to Burundi. So some of the people, they joined the efforts. Um, we call them the RDF. They joined the effort and they wanted to come in Rwanda and try to like rebarate the country again to make sure the country is broad. Everyone is having the, the rights to live in a country as the Rwandese. So they 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 tried fighting since 1990, if I can recall well the history. 
Uh, but because they were few and they didn't have like a lot of requirements to win the battle, they didn't make it in the air. They started fighting. So they kept fighting, uh, failing again, uh, energizing themselves, finding the equipments and all of that. So even the genocide happened when they are still trying all of that, trying to come in a country and make sure they bring peace. Everyone has the right to be to live in a country, both the Hutu and both the Tutsis. So what happened, the genocide happened and because this was like a tragedy, they now joined all their effort and they come in, they fought. Uh, the genocide started in April. 1994 on 7th it happened like for a period of three months so in july it was already stopped by the army that was coming from uganda so what happened to the people that were doing the genocide they then flee to congo because congo is kind of a big forest so you can readily get an available place to hide if you really want a, a hiding place so when they came into Congo, they were like, we were killing Tutsis in Rwanda. But even here in Congo, we are having Tutsis. What if we continue what we are doing? So they, were, they kind of attacked the same ethnicity that they were, attacking to in, they were attacking in Rwanda. So then that is what happened. They attacked us and then we also free from Congo. We came back in Rwanda. So... That's how we came in in Rwanda and we came in as refugees. We were given that name as refugees, even if originally we were from, from Rwanda, but it is like the politics, like they, they kind maybe, I mean, the conference, the Berlin conference that divided other countries and all whatever. So they kind of said, oh, if this time happened when we are in Congo, so you are called the Congolese. So it happened like that. But in actual sense, we were in Congo, but again speaking Kinyarwanda, the language from Rwanda. So it's kind of complicated like that, but uh, that's how it happens. So we, we were then um, attacked by the same army, uh, by the same people that were doing the genocide. We came in Rwanda, we were in, in a refugee camp. Uh, if I can recall well, we'll we reached the, in a refugee camp by 1997. So we were in a refugee camp up to the time I came in the U.S. So that is, that is how it is. And what year were you born? I was born in 1996. Okay. Yeah. So your parents went from Congo to Rwanda. Mm -hmm. And when they got there, what did it look like to settle in Rwanda as a refugee? And were you, you said you guys were identified as Congolese, mm -hmm. is that correct? Even yes. though ethnically mm -hmm. and your people are Rwandan. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um, starting on that, we, we are, I mean, we are politically called Congolese, but we are Rwandese, like from the history, like if you can trace back, I mean, we... We, we share almost whatever everyone does share. We really have less in common with the Congolese people, but that's the history. So when my family, they, free, they, they left Congo actually in 1995. So they came in, uh, they tried to make life by themselves because in Rwanda there was genocide. So most of the people had also free from Rwanda to other countries in 1994. 
so what happened my parents tried to go find the house that was available they lived in it they used the the, the farms that the people in the house uh, used they cultivated they tried to really start life uh, afresh what happened when the security was coming back in rwanda people came back so people who had gone to burundi to uganda during the genocide they then came back after there was peace after the rdf has taken over then there was peace in the country so they came in back so when they came in back they were like oh they came into the house where my parents were living and they're like oh this is my house but by then politically they were not supposed to kick my family out of the house so what my family did they gave them like a, a shelter like besides the the main house and they used to live there and my family could provide to them the food to eat but then a time came in where my family said but even if we are providing shelter for them this is their house it's not our house even if we are providing food it's not our food it is their food so my family decided like we better go where others are going which was in a refugee camp so some of some some of the people from congo they came in and they were immediately resettled in a refugee camp that was close to congo but my family particularly they were not in that refugee camp they were trying to make life but when they came in to say we can't continue living with the owners of the house like this they also decided to go in a refugee camp so they all take them together and they put them in a refugee camp that was in northern part of rwanda so that's where that's that is why i said they reached in a refugee camp in 1997 but they left to congo actually 1995 so the two years was spent uh trying to make life outside uh which it never happened because of uh the reasoning i just mentioned so you were born in them beforehand your grandparents go from rwanda to congo and then from congo they're coming back to rwanda because the hutus it's like a traveling genocide that's wild mm-hmm. so they hunt people down they go all the way to congo to find tutsis which your family is tutsi mm-hmm. and then they come back to rwanda so they're fleeing from a country that's not their own mm-hmm. to rwanda to a house and then the original family comes back that fled and so you're being born in all of this because you said 1995 is when they come back and then 1997 is when they go to the refugee camp mm-hmm. so the refugee camp what what did that look like um i know you're probably one year old when this happens um but growing up what did that look like i think it's hard for us to imagine what that would look like what a refugee camp is yeah thank you so much um yeah i I mean i was born in that transition between uh left leaving congo and coming in a refugee camp i was actually born in that area where my parents were living in that uh house where the owners had left so i probably uh we were in a refugee camp when i was one year old uh but again the life i know i i know the life 
in the refugee camp. I mean, one year is is just less. I'm, you're too young to remember anything like in before the camp. So um, when I recall, uh, when we reached in the refugee camp, we were given shelters. Um, like we are given, there is a way that they create like a transitional place to live. So it's like a shelter. Uh, you make like some trees and then you, it is like bended somehow. And then they put on the shelter and then you live in there. So um, refugee camp uh, is, is, it's, it's very hard. Like, um more to the sh- i mean rather than the shelter which is which is difficult the biggest problem with it it is like f- food uh which is which is really a challenge like whatever the UNHCR is providing to them it's never enough what is the UNHCR uh UNHCR is uh in full it's united nation um it's it's through the UN yes. right it's yeah. like the uh, i don't it's remember it's the UN agency that is in charge of refugees just to make it simple like that yeah i i don't remember the the h but for the CRI it's commission for refugee so sorry for my bad brain <laughs> no we don't know so you're good <laughs> yeah so um they the food they provide is not really enough so like um what happens if your parents is still young he has to go outside and look for food otherwise the food that they provide for you it is never enough if i can recall well like um there used to be a program where they could provide food but then they changed into a program where they could provide money but uh, roughly, they could plan that for one person, he has to receive $6 per month. $6, like only $6 to survive for the whole month. And that was never, it, it couldn't make you survive. So your parents has to go outside to look for a living. So you couldn't get food and education would be difficult. Uh, most of the refugees people didn't get a chance to study their, their high school and their universities. Mostly if by God's grace they were able to finish high school, that was all. That was all. Like they couldn't get means to continue. Only few people who could, by God's grace, uh, perform well in their high schools and get get some uh, scholarships, but the scholarships were also like uh, for non-governmental organization for NGOs because the governmental uh, scholarship the refugees are not eligible for it. It's only the scholarship that is given to cit- citizens because you have to pay it back. So they don't allow the they they don't give it to refugee people. So even for the education, it is uh, still a challenge. So uh, with that crowded, uh, crowded people, a lot of kids, a lot of whatever, sanitation is never good. So if sanitation is never good, 
that means there is a lot of disease that are coming in because of that poor hygiene and sanitation caused by a lot of people. I mean, like all of those, like if you can look in all angles of life, everything is broken. Like there is nothing that is really built that, that you can say that it, it is good. Yeah. So while you guys were in the camps, it was mostly Tutsi people. Yes, yes, it was mostly Tutsi people. Uh, there would be some exceptions of the Hutu people, but in that case, it would be like maybe your mother is a Hutu and then your father is a Tutsi. So it could be kind of that. It was very rare to find like both your mother and your father, they are all Hutus. It was very rare. So it could be like mixed. So one comes because of another. How do people know that someone's Hutu and someone's Tutsi? Okay, that's that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, um, I'm not really good at that. But historically speaking, uh, they just look on the length of the nose. So if your nose is, is long enough or tall, then uh, they qualify you to be a Tutsi. If your face is tall, they qualify you to be a Tutsi, and then uh, your height, uh, Tutsis are also uh, known to be tall. Yeah, those are the few things they could uh, measure up and, and say you are a Tutsi. Or, yeah. So there are some people that are good in it. They can go into details, but uh, those are the general, the nose, uh, the face, and then the height. So what is bringing people to this camp, you know, stemming from the Rwandan genocide is based on physical appearance then of knowing that someone is Tutsi or Hutu. Um, not really uh, on that because uh, the people that did the genocide in Rwanda, they came in and they knew the region to target. And that region was lived by the Tutsis. And them, they knew by appearance who is a Hutu and who is a Tutsi. So whoever was a Hutu in Congo has never issue of being killed. So he never had any worry of fleeing, of coming in a country. The only people that had to flee were the Tutsis because they knew they were the target group. So all that freed, they immediately uh, were taken to the refugee camp. Is the language the same between Hutus and Tutsis? Yes. Is there a different accent? No. That's wild. That's so wild. Um, it is. So growing up, um, and if you have been listening, then you saw, well, you didn't see anything as a podcast, uh, but you listened at the beginning of Carrie's uh, beautiful rendition of uh, Faustine's language. What language do you speak, Faustine? Uh, my language is, 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 is called Kinyarwanda. Okay. And then, so going back to the refugee camp, is that what the majority of people spoke? Yes. Okay. All of them. Okay. Yeah. So then what does school look like? Uh, so is Kinyarwandan, is that what kids who are Rwandan citizens, is that what they're speaking in schools, Kinyarwandan? Yes. That, that is the language that is used in a whole country. Uh, but now the academic language is English, so they teach in English, but 
that's that's just the lessons that's the courses so the teacher is is teaching in english but generally as people they are talking to one another they just use kinyarwanda so just to reiterate so you are saying that you grew up in a refugee camp being rwandan speaking the same language looking almost i mean very similar to everyone else but you're in a refugee camp and not a citizen. And the reason is because your family fled to Congo. And so you were deemed Congolese. Is that correct? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, no one would really get the way to explain. Like, I know some of the families that fled, like that same time that we fled, but they came in in Rwanda. They didn't go to the refugee camp. So those people were called Rwandese. So they they were able to remain in like outside the refugee camp and they applied for their um, ID cards. And then when they were given the Rwanda national identification card, they were called Rwandese. So it's kind of weird in that sense because we, I mean, it's not almost, it's everything. Like we are 100% similar to the Rwandese. I mean, yeah. I mean, when people ask me where are you from, I'm always say that I'm from Rwanda. But I, I, I am getting reminded that originally I'm from Congo. <laughs> but very complicated, but but yeah. also not so complicated all at the same time. So, did you growing up? Did you know this difference? Like as a child, did you understand? Did your parents talk to you about like being Rwandan, Rwandese? Rwandese, mm-hmm. not Rwandan. Mm, what do whatever. you say? Which way would we say that? Rwandese or Rwandan or both? Both, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you know like your family's story as a child or is this something you learned as you grew up? It's something that I that I took time and talked to my father. I just asked like, tell me like what happened. And then my father has to go in all the details and explain to me. So, yeah, that that is what happened. So, are you going to school at this time with, like, Rwandan citizen children? Are you all in the same school? Is there a school in the refugee camp? What did that look like? Uh, there were schools in a refugee camp uh, initially. Like, for me, I studied my whole primary in a refugee camp. But then uh, when we finished uh, primary, we were, like, many so the schools in a refugee camp uh, would not uh, be able to hold all of us because we were like many. So they had to divide us in two parts. So once one part they went to study like kind in, in a governmental schools that was close to the refugee camp and others remained in the refugee camp. So particularly me, I went outside to study in a, in a governmental school and by there, I was studying with the Randy's people. And did you enjoy going to school? Yeah, I, I enjoyed. The only part was we were studying like, oh, we call it Gongenike. It's like where you start like 8 a.m. and then you finish, you finish like 3 p.m. So um, it was tough somehow because you'll spend all that time without eating. But then the ones they were studying in a refugee camp, they could study morning, they go eat, come back in the evening, they eat because they, the school is closer to them 
but for us it was kind of some distance we had to do some little movement so it, it was um kind tough but not really tough so we had to yeah to accept that and were your parents did your dad get a job when you talked about having to find supplements for food um just not receiving enough from the UN what did your family do to make ends meet oh yeah okay uh thank you i think my father really uh he did like quite um uh it's probably one job uh he he used to attend to cows oh uh, so he he w- the way it happened you could go like in a farm uh for a, a person who is having like many cows you attend to his cows and probably like maybe after a given period that you agree he would give you a cow and then in the middle of the or a monthly basis you could agree on some amount to give you or sometimes you could say okay you will be selling the milk and then you get money for yourself so that's that's what he used to do and because he did it for a while he kind of got to be experienced and he was kind i would say promoted so he was now in charge of taking care of the cows uh you would say like a veterinary person but not official like he wasn't having any document of them but he knew how to do it so he was given that job of taking care of the of the cows knowing whatever is happening to them and he could help with that and uh to the guy he was working to he also had like a big farm where he could like grow some crops and also my father was in charge of he was probably in charge of whatever the guy was owning in in that farm so that that is what my father did to make ends meet so while your dad is working you're going to school when you do come in contact with at this time with Rwandan citizens so not Rwandans in the refugee camp how is that interaction like do people treat you like you're the same do they treat you different is there is there contention there between those two groups of people yeah so as i said we are we are in everything the same unless they take your id and they look at it they just see refugee card they can't know you are a refugee they cannot know that they will just treat you as a fellow and this who i mean who is coming from another part of the country i mean or the same part of the country they will never treat you in anything different so because as i said we are every we are alike in everything they would never know that you are a refugee they would never know that so if someone did if for some reason you know you're having to get out your id card mm-hmm. is there like how how would people react to that do they not care do they you know is there some kind of like they're looking down on mm-hmm. the rwandans who are refugees or mm-hmm. is it supportive what would that uh, look like the biggest uh the biggest downfall of it will be towards like towards the refugees it is not the status that you are proud of it's not the status that you want every person really to 
to just know you to be honest if you could be having that you would hide it and i know most of my friends uh who if they were asked where are you from they will probably say something else rather than being a refugee so it's not something really to be proud of because of how a refugee is perceived how a refugee is thought to be in a bad life miserable life and all of that so a person is not really confident uh he's not really in i mean he doesn't want to be named like that so um to to uh, i wouldn't say that people were like this particularly on refugees it just depended on the person like if a person is is just mean he will be mean on you if a person is 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 nice he'll be nice to you there is nothing like general that they would they would ha- they will just think about you and and i think more to that is in 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 a community where you are outside of the refugee camp like probably at school really no one would recognize that no one would really know that you are a refugee so it's hard to tell how many people would react on that but um it just depends on the person if by any circumstances it happened that a person gets your id and sees you a refugee just depends on the person if a person is nice will be nice a person is mean will be mean but yeah there is nothing as as general that i would mention out that this is how people perceive it the greatest problem was always on we like we who were not that confident to say that we are refugees and all of that was there opportunity for your family to move out of the refugee camps at any point um or or would there be before it used to be there like uh as you can hear we left congo rwanda was still like building up it is just right away after the genocide so in those beginning years if a person would just move in and stay uh, and just want stay as a rwandese stay in rwanda then he could be given a rwandan national id and he just lives as a rwandese I'm just saying after I like after right away after the genocide there was that possibility because Rwanda was like receiving all the Rwandese from Uganda from Burundi and as I told you you could never say that this is not a Rwandese you could never say that because everything is the same so there could be that opportunity but as the country get to be stable and everything is registered then it was difficult for you to be a a, 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 a rwandan citizen you could go i mean take you like more than five years you go to the government you say i want to be a rwandese you mention your reasons you go to the court the judges they ask you they do the interviews and all of that you know my sister changed from refugee to rwandese or uh, because she married the rwandese uh in a sense rwandese because he has an id but he's a congolese he, he's like one of us oh wow you know <laughs> so my sister changed from um from refugee to 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 having a national id and to took her like 
three to four years and for her sake she had really a reason my husband is around this but even how it took some good years so yes it just depends on the time we would want to transfer but people were not willing to stay and be given the Rwandan citizenship because by then how could you be in a country where you remember they fled in 59 so no more farms where they could grow crops no more house like where are you going to stay so the only option was to go in a refugee camp where the UNHCR is going to care for you other than that staying and and not going in a refugee camp you have no way to survive so the only people that stayed were the people that had means like they had uh the possibilities of getting food for themselves for they didn't want to go to the refugee camp so for those people they are on this so as i said this uh we are in a refugee camp but um m- uh, to the family of my mother my mother and her young sister they are refugees but all other siblings are on this Like, That's something I was curious about is there have to be many families yes. in Rwanda some some refugees some yes. not Yes Wow Yeah most of my I mean all of my uncles are on this and all of my aunties apart from that one that that comes after my mom they are all on this The mother to my mom is around this the father to my mom is around this like all of that and as I say the reason is when we free to congo those who had means of survival if they chose not to go to the refugee camp when the time for registration came they were given randis id card and who they were given they were called randis so shifting gears just a little bit i'm curious like how did you grow up um did you grow up in a christian home did you grow up hearing the gospel um what was the culture of church in Rwanda and specifically in the camps oh okay thank you so much in the camp um i would say more than 80% we were adventist so i didn't grow up in a, in a, in a, in in a farm christian family we were so called adventist but my father and my mother were not really that religious they could never go to church they could go um i mean less likely not really much but i grew up going to church um to adventist just because of the community like other kids of my same age uh i mean are getting ready for the church so what am i going to be doing you know you also dress up and go for church you know oh so i grew up as I, i grew up going to adventist church but i wasn't into it when i reached my primary uh i mean i'm starting to get in my 10 years so i i mean i left i just stopped going to church after all my parent is never telling me to go there so i mean no one is really caring about going to church or not going to church so whenever i would want i would go whenever i would stop i would stop like if i could get a new shoes go to church get a new pan go to church get a new clothes go to church if they are old just stop i mean no one to 
tell me, Faustin, you have to go to church. I mean, there was no that person. So when I reached my, when I finished my primary, I can't stop, stopped. I started um, a senior one, senior two, senior three, what here you would, you would call grade seven, eight, and nine. Uh, I wasn't really going to church. Uh, my behaviors were kind of changing to bad because I wasn't going to church. Um, so when I finished that, I then uh, continued to the ninth grade, ten, um, not ninth, I think tenth grade, eleventh and twelfth. Uh, I then moved into a boarding school. So that boarding school is an American school, by the way. Um, so it is kind Christian, but cultural Christianity. Um, so they offer Bibles when you reach there. And they just caught a lot of Christian words. They caught a lot of Christ. It's a leadership school. So they are always using the words of Jesus Christ in a way of leading people, leadership lessons and all of that. So I was kind of like attracted by that. And it kind of changed me. Uh, like I was morally changed by the teachings, uh, by the leadership lessons that I was receiving. And I started thinking like, oh, okay, I'm a Christian. I read the Bible. I pray. I go to church. I am a Christian. So that's, that's, that's like, that's how it happens. Um, going further maybe to my, can I go further to my testimony? Please. Okay. Please do. <laughs> uh, so... <clears throat> When I when 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 I started going into further into that life of praying, reading the word of God, going to church, I mean, I I was I I went far into it. I was given a lot of being the choir leader, like I was leading the choir in in a school, so that pressed me in a position of being a church committee leader. So um, when I recall the lifestyle that I was living at school. So we could have pray, fasting prayers by the church. It will, no, by the choir, it will be Tuesday. And by the church committee, it will be Friday. So like almost every week, I was having two days of praying and fasting. The funny part of it, every Friday after the prayers, after the fasting prayers, I don't know where this question will, 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 was coming from, but I would I was always ask myself, where can I go if I die? Like, where can I go if I die? And to my surprise, it will always be, I can go to hell. That, that, that was my conviction. The funny thing is, the way, the, the, the way, the way we, we do our fasting prayers in Rwanda and generally Protestantism in Rwanda, you will begin your prayers with repentance. Like you are confessing your sins. You're confessing the sins of your children. Even if you don't have them, you're confessing <laughs> the sins of your parents. You're confessing the sins of your grandparents. Like you're confessing every kind of sins. And more to that, you add in the sins I know and the sins I don't know. <laughs> in in the Adventist church that you're, or is this just the church you were in? 
the protestant like okay the, oh okay yeah the adventist was before going to the boarding school when i went to the boarding school it wasn't specifically uh, a church like at 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 high school we would all pray together there would never be like differences like you are an adventist another one is uh protestant from whatever church we could all come together and pray but because most of the people were from the protestant you will see the service looked like protestant but there was no specific name for that okay okay that makes sense sorry yeah. <laughs> okay. you're praying so uh, what happened i when i could think about that my heart would tremble like i would tremble by me thinking that i'll go to hell I will find a group of people, three, four, that are discussing, that are sharing stories about different things, and then I will join them, and we have different stories. And the mind, it then takes another route. Uh, the thinking of hell and heaven, it just goes away. That is what would happen. It happened really for a while. And the time came in when I approached my pastor, the pastor at my high school and then i was like is there a time where a person is going to obey all the laws a hundred percent all the ten commandments like is there a time that i will be confident that i go to heaven and the pastor was like no we all fight you fight you keep trying you know you keep obeying the laws when you fail you ask for the forgiveness like that is how we are all like forgiveness you ask you repent confess you sin confess you try and all of that that is what responded to me and i said okay so this is how others are living if my pastor can tell me this then this is the christianity i was really considered among the religious people in my school i mean i used to pray with a loud voice so <laughs> People would be passing by and they could listen my voice in a chapel and I could say Faustin is praying. So uh, I was really used to, uh, I used to be among the religious people at my uh, at my school. As you hear, I was the choir leader. The choir really had a lot of people and it is considered the people that are serving Lord. So it, it is understandable that I was considered to be uh, among the religious people. There was a friend, uh, he had studied at the same school. He had gone to the university. There was time where they could come back to the school to visit uh, and all of that. So he came in and said, okay, Faustin, you are in your last year. Uh, make sure if you come to the university, you join uh, what we call GBU. GBU's group, a brick Nivrestel. In English, it's, it's more like crew, cross union. Christian Union? Do you know Christian Union? I don't. Like a, but it's a college group for Christians. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you know John Stott? Yes. Ah. Yeah, it is It is the one that started by John Stott. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. It, and it's called Christian Union. Yes. Okay. It's Christian Union. So it's it resembles like how my my high school will do. Like it's not a particular... Um, a particular church it's just a combination of people from different beliefs they come and they agree on particular truth of the bible 
So he told me that you can come and, and join that group in a university. Uh, he, he shared to me that we have the small groups where you can meet, study the Bible, and maybe you may be saved uh, from it. And I said to myself, that's not me. I am already saved. Uh, I mean, I'm saved already. I will come, but I will just come because I want to serve. <laughs> you know, that is what I said to myself. A time came in, I went to, to university. I joined the same group. And then there were these small groups of five to six people. And then a time came in, we sit. And they were like, what do you think will take you to heaven? And this was the first time I, has, I have ever heard about this question. But remember, I grew up in Adventist. After Adventist, I went in a Protestant kind of a movement where no one really knew what they believed. So whatever comes into my mind was, we go to heaven because of what we do. Like, like that's, that's, that, that's the answer. That, that is what everyone knows. Like, I grew up knowing it's Ten Commandments. Uh, when I changed to the Protestant, they don't mention Ten Commandments, but it is still your righteousness. So, they just mention it's what you do. Like, however you keep the laws, however you prevent yourself from sinning, like, that is what takes you to heaven. And the guy was like, where do you read it? Wow. <laughs> where do you get it from the scriptures? <laughs> And I was like, do I really have a scripture? And you go in your mind and you're, you're starting to quote scriptures like Matthew 25, uh, 31, where Christ is saying the sheep go to my right and they go to my left. And you bring in those scriptures. You see they are going to heaven because of what they have done. You know, but you're really making it up. You are not really, you didn't think about really what takes you to heaven. And the guy is, uh, okay, do you know John 3.16? And yes, I know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have an everlasting life. And he's like, do you see anything about you? Anything of your good works? And um, no, I don't see. <laughs> I don't see it. And he's saying, whoever believes in him will not perish but have an everlasting life. So whoever believes in Jesus Christ definitely gets eternal life. And I was, that was the truth that was hard for me to digest. I was like, I was 20 by then, 20 years. I was like, for all the years, I've been taught a different gospel than that. It was hard for me to digest it. So even if the, the truth was clear to me, but I kind of fought against that. I was trying to bring in other scriptures, you know. Uh, even if it is this, I will try to bring in other scriptures. But good works are necessary. Good works are good. And all of that trying to defend whatever I've just said. I remember a time came in where I said, okay, that's fine. Christ died for us. And I went into this. But even if Christ died for our sins, but you are not sure. In anything, it can happen and you go to hell. And I was quoting Second Peter 2.20, the dogs going back to the vomits and the, and the poor going back to whatever. And the guys were explaining to me, 
you see you're taking it out of context this is not a take speaking about christian this is about false prophets you know it took me some good months i remember i joined university 2015 in uh, in september i can recall that i came to faith around in march i don't know exactly when but around there march february it's when i would say that i came to faith because by then i finally thought back and whatever i considered to be false gospel whatever i considered to be rubbish it was now sweet like i would feel it in my heart that christ is enough like the questions of where i'm going to go i now had the answers i felt the deep joy in my heart that i know now that i will go to heaven i know where i will go when i die god created me god created in me the zeal to know his word you know i started taking the bible i could do devotion every day have my notebook whatever question i meet i just put it down and ask my friends who were before me in the faith and say hey what is this and they literally explained everything you know i was saved in a setting where it was modified like we we had chances to follow the polosha the the john macarthur i mean we were listening to all of them so we were saved kind like knowing the whole doctrine like we knew justification sanctification erection predestination like we kind knew everything like to the extent that we were affected by that because people who get saved without knowing all those doctrine by then it was hard for us to accept them as christians because for us we were saved knowing all that content so i really came to faith in that god created me a desire to know the word of god we used to have like three fellowships monday wednesday and friday so we could meet monday we st- we are in a in a service we study and i'm i'm like immediately after the monday fellowship ends i'm like when is when is they going to come like i've known this particular angle about christ i need to know the rest of the angles like when is when is they going to come i was studying medicine which was considered the hardest course in a university so normally the medical student never attended all those events so when they could see me coming they were like no but you study medicine how are you attending like all the events and i'm like i i i don't know i may i don't think i made a big sacrifice like i feel like i should come and because i feel like i should come then i've created time for it i I never felt like I'm making a big sacrifice. I want to come. So I made time and I come. So really God made such a transformation in my heart that I knew that this is the right gospel. This is the correct gospel. The zeal of loving God it has created me. It can never come elsewhere rather than the true gospel. The false gospel cannot create in you the zeal to know God. It cannot create in you the zeal to know more about who God is and what he has done for you on the cross. It can never do that. 
and because of that transformation i said lily this is the gospel that i have received yeah so that is how i came to faith praise god <laughs> amen amen